Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Have a seat. You know, we're in the, the book of Galatians, and this is Paul's, probably the, probably the first letter that he writes, uh, first epistle that he writes actually to the churches he founded. And these churches in Galatia are in Galatia, which is part of Turkey. It's about the center of Turkey. He, he, he started these churches. He shared the gospel with these churches. They were growing. They were, they were doing everything right. And then he hears word that things aren't going as well as he had hoped. So let's jump right into our scripture this morning. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, make sure you bring those every week. Galatians 1, we're going to start with verse 6 and go to verse 10. Give you a moment to get to it. You know, words matter. In the Sunday school class today, we're going to, uh, that we're starting, um, we're going to talk about words and the definitions. And Paul starts with this word. He says, I am astonished. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For now, for I am now seeking the approval of men or of God. Which one is it? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Father, we praise you. We praise you for your grace, which is what saves us. Father, as we, as we go through these verses, as we, as we study your word, Lord, uh, open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Father, help me to only preach the words you want me to say. Help me to stay true to your word. Not conjecture, not my interpretation. But what does the Holy Spirit say? And may we go today richer in our spirits, richer in our walk with, with you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Now, this idea of, of you know, I'm astonished, is, it, it, Paul is more than just a little curious. You know, we may be curious as, you know, why did they, why did they do that? You know, why did this person, you know, why are they like driving off into the field, you know? But, you know, there are times in our life, though, when, when we're astonished, when we're extremely surprised. And this word that Paul used is taomazo, which is in Greek is like, you know, you are flabbergasted. You are, you, you just, you, you're, you're just amazed that something is happening. Paul says, I, I, can't, I can't believe it. I cannot believe that you're doing this. 
And it's not the fact that they're just turning from one kind of doctrine. It's not like they, they believed in baptism by immersion, and now they believe in baptism by sprinkling. No, they are turning to a completely different gospel. And in fact, they're not just turning from one gospel to another. They are turning from Jesus Christ, the very one that gave them grace. Now we, we, we must understand, this is something that shows here and, 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 and everywhere else, there are only two sides in this war. And yes, we're in a war. There's God's side and there's Lucifer's side. If you're not on God's side, you're helping Lucifer. Simple fact. There are, there's no middle ground. It's either one or the other. They are turning away from Jesus, the very one who gave them grace for salvation. See, it wasn't it wasn't Paul's uh, you know persuasive speaking and his character on stage or in front of them that led them. He didn't he didn't convince them to be believers in Jesus Christ by his words or how he looked. No, it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, showing them who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what Jesus said. It was the Holy Spirit changing their hearts. And the only way that happened, the only reason that happened, was because of grace. Unmerited favor. You know, Jesus... Jesus tells us that he's the good shepherd, right? He's the good shepherd, and he says, My sheep, they know me, and they hear my voice. But see, what was happening in the church in Galatia is that there were some other shepherds, some false shepherds, who were coming in, and they were... They were saying things that were leading people in the wrong direction. Their way of speaking was, was amazing. They were, they were experts at rhetoric. We talked about this last week. They could get up and they could tell you things and you wouldn't believe it at first and then by the time you were done, you would believe it. They were good at arguing. They were good at presenting But what happens in that process, they're drowning out the good news of Jesus. See, see, the good news of Jesus is that you are saved by his grace. Salvation is free. You do, it's not salvation by works. It's salvation by grace and grace alone. And that's good news. We'll talk about a little bit about why that's good news in a few minutes, but they were replacing it with something different. And what we find out a little bit later is what they're replacing it with is salvation by works. Jewish laws and customs. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's, there's the Jewish laws and the customs, the Ten Commandments, what God put in place, are good. They're not bad. But then they had to wrap all these other laws around it. 
And it became all about the law, all about keeping the law. And then when you do that as believers, if, if we focus only on the law and keeping the law, then we completely ignore the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus says it's finished, right? What's finished? Salvation. It's done. The price has been paid. There's nothing else that needs to be done. And what they do when they when someone says that they, you know they came in and they were telling them that, that well you need to become Jewish you need to be circumcised you need to follow all the mosaic laws and all the everything you need is in the Old Testament you need to do and here are all the thousands of laws around it that keep you from doing doing the, something you're not supposed to all of a sudden it becomes salvation by works and it lays a huge burden on the believer. Because now I have to continue to do those good works to keep my salvation. That was the problem. See, sound doctrine is so vital to the church. Sound doctrine is important to the church, even today. It's this measuring rod that, that keeps the church on the right path. And what was happening is these Judaizers were, were armed with strong doctrine. They had strong doctrine. I mean, come on. The Jewish people have been following this for thousands of years. It's tried and true. It works, right? I mean, that's what we think. We think something that's been around a long time will work. Unless you're in the medical field, and it's all the new stuff that's good, you know. We don't need those herbs and things because those don't work. We don't know. But they were like, this is what you should be doing. And so Paul is going to challenge their doctrine with even stronger doctrine. You see, today, I think there's a cancer in the church. There is a cancer in the church today where whole denominations are turning from sound doctrine all to, to false doctrine, all in the name of unity, inclusion, and in providing an experience. Talked about that last week, too. This false doctrine focuses on, focuses on love and acceptance. I mean, come on. All we need is love, right? If we just love everybody, things would be perfect. And, and, you know, love is the greatest of all. I mean, it's even higher than faith and hope. Love is awesome. Love is needed. But the problem is, is that love doesn't come from itself. It comes from the gospel. No greater love is there than one who lays down his life for his brother. The love that we should be experiencing comes from the gospel, and the gospel guides that love. Because what happens when we don't have the gospel guiding our love? It goes wherever it wants. I love my car. I love my job. You know? And I don't just mean like I enjoy my job. No. People say I love my job because they truly love it. It is a love affair. I love my wife. I'm supposed to. But I also love this person. Oh, now we have problems. And the worst thing of all, we come to where we love ourselves. We become a narcissist. We love ourselves more than anything. That's the problem when love is not guided by the gospel. And what happens is when we, the fruit of the gospel, fear of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when those are not 
are not firmly planted in the gospel, if those aren't what aren't what guide us, they begin to wither on the vine when we ignore the gospel. And what happens? What takes their place? Well, the, obviously the deeds of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, disperse, dispen, uh, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And these are all things Paul are going to warn the Galatians about. Because when we don't keep on the gospel, when we don't have sound doctrine, those are the things that will grow in our lives. But all we need is love, right? This is why Paul is so insistent that we stand firm in the gospel. Because it is the source of all love. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus, that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, that Jesus came, died for us on the cross, rose again, he's coming back, and that he gives us salvation by grace. Not because of what we did, but because of what he did on the cross. See, the fruitfulness of where our lives are going is completely tied to and a result of our relationship to the gospel and the truths of the gospel. It's the gospel that confronts our sin, right? It confronts us. It's it's gospel that, that shows us that we are sinners, that we are lost, and that we need a Savior. Oh, I'm not a sinner. I don't need a Savior. Yeah, you do. You need a savior. Because see, God, God does not, God does not want us just to be able to work on our salvation however we want. We don't get to just pick and choose what we like out of the gospel, not out of the Bible. But we do, and we do not get to work out our spiritual lives any way we feel is our desire. The gospel directs us, and if we desert the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're leaving Christ behind, and we are transferring our, our we're transferring our allegiance to something or someone else. Now, people might think, well, you know, Paul, man, that's kind of that's kind of overly dramatic, don't you think? Is it really that bad? Yeah, it is, and it's it's part of the same problem we have today. In the church and outside the church, we have given up the gospel for a false gospel. These false apostles are distorting the gospel and they're tr- he's, they're troubling the the Galatians. And what Paul says is, you know, hey, yeah, I, I told you what the gospel was, and I don't care if an angel comes to you and reveals to you this gospel. A different gospel. That, don't believe them. There are, there, are, there are people today that are following religions that they'll say, well, an angel came and told me. Really? Paul says don't believe them. Paul says that even if he comes back, let's say he came back and says, hey, uh, that first time I came through, I got it all wrong. My mistake. Here's what you're supposed to do. You need to become Jewish. He says, don't believe me. Don't believe me. It's grace. And grace alone Because see, 
the gospel itself does not come from us. It didn't come from Paul. It comes from Jesus himself. So we need to keep our eyes on Christ. Because see, what happens is we begin to spiritually desert, and that's a very, very... I know I said desert, so people are thinking of desserts. No, dessert, like leave. Spiritually, we spiritually desert the gospel. And it becomes a slippery slope. Oh, slippery slope. Yeah, people always, no, it does. It becomes a slippery slope. Because see, what happens as we're sliding down away from Christ, we, we've taken our eyes off the focal point, the cross. We've taken our eyes off the main thing that keeps us on track. You know, I used to watch um, I used to watch a TV show called MythBusters. I used to love it because I loved how they they kind of showed how these things were true or false. And they did one that I always remember because they did one where they were trying to see they were trying to answer the question: Can you walk across a field, hopefully without cows in it, with blindfolded, right, and get to the other side? So you got that point, that tree over on the other side of the field. We're going to blindfold you, and we're going to set you. You're going to look at it, then we're going to blindfold you, and you're going to walk to it. Does our our mind have, like, internal GPS? So what they do, they took Jamie and uh, and um, Adam, and they they blind, they blind showed, they looked at the tree, and they blindfolded them, and then they used, you know, a camera over them on a, on a drone to watch them, and they tracked them. Guess where they ended up? The tree was over there. They ended up over here. And they thought the whole time they thought they were going straight. So what happens when we take our eyes off the gospel? Wandering this way and that way. And the whole time, guess what? We think we're going in a straight line. Doesn't happen. When we spiritually desert the gospel, we are turning our eyes away from that fixed point of the cross and we become lost. Now, I, I said last week that over the, over the years that the church has a tendency to lose the gospel. So what does this look like? I'll give you a couple examples of what this looks like. You know, sometimes churches will innocently teach That number one, you are saved through your surrender to Christ plus right beliefs and behavior. That if you want to believe in Jesus, great, come, sit at the altar, say a prayer, believe in Jesus, and then live your life the right way. That's a typical mistake we've made as a church. We challenge people to give their life to Christ, and then we ask them to to ask him into their lives. What does that mean? What does it mean to ask him into your life? Well, then they need to know that. They need to learn. They need to grow. It sounds biblical, but it still rejects the idea of grace only. I don't have to come down to an altar to be saved. But I do have to accept him in my life. I do have to ask for forgiveness. I do have to do these things, but that's not what saves me. What saves me is the grace of God.
See, people think they're saved by their strong belief and in their love for God and a life committed to Jesus. And, and believe me, those should be hallmarks of our lives as Christians. But then what happens the first time they make a mistake? Oh, now I've got to do better. I've got to try harder. Well, not really, because then it's salvation by works. Oh, I've lost my salvation. I've sinned. No, that's salvation by works then. So what do I do? I repent and keep going. And do I try harder? Yes. But that's not what saves me. What saves me is God's grace. We get into this pattern of, of <laughs> we sin, we feel bad, we know it's wrong, we repent, we try harder, we sin. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm not saying... Believe me, I am not saying that once we, we say we believe in Christ that we don't have to ever worry about sinning again and we can just do whatever we want. No, Paul says, no way. Am I, am I to sin so that grace will increase? By no means. But the, the problem is, is that if I sit there and say that I, I, I went down to the altar and I believed in Jesus Christ, then there must be a transformation. It must be a changed life or that wasn't real. Because Jesus says, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Well, have I let let go of the old? It takes time. But I should be letting go of the old and accepting the new. But see, i got to be careful to say that, yeah, i got to keep doing good things because then then, then I'm putting the cart before the horse. The salvation is grace that saves me. The result of that grace is Jesus Christ in my life and me living a life where I'm striving for the cross at all times. But that striving is not what saves me. It was grace. It was grace. It's what Jesus did on the cross that saves us from the penalty of sin. Not our performance as believers. It's not our level of faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. Our surrender, our right beliefs, and our behavior, those are all fruit of our salvation. They're not our salvation, though. They're fruit. So, what if I don't, Pastor, what if I don't have fruit in my life? Then you better check your salvation. And I'm not wrong in saying that. Work out your faith with fear and trembling. Check yourself. Paul says, check yourself. Be sure. How do I be sure? You have to search yourself. You have to do some soul search. You have to spend time in the Word, time in prayer. It's an, it's an effort. But even that doesn't save you. It keeps you on the right path. Then there are the other churches that teach it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are a good person. If you know as you are loving and you're a good and accepting person, we're good. This is becoming probably the most common mistake in churches today. It's getting worse. We're going to talk... Not today, but in the whole process in the Sunday school class, today we're going to talk about social justice and biblical justice. And um, I've seen denominations accepting a lot of this theory. And this theory is counter to Scripture. 
We'll talk about that a little bit as weeks go on. But this idea teaches that all good people, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of their religion or the lack of that, will find God. Oh, there's more than one way to God. That's what they'll tell us. But what does Scripture say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, that means no one, comes to the Father except through me. That was Jesus speaking. I mean, this idea that they teach sounds very open-minded and accepting, right? These churches run the risk of allowing apostasy and New Age beliefs to enter the church. And if you don't believe there are New Age beliefs in our denomination, come to my class in about a month. We're going to talk about the New Age beliefs that have made their way into the church and where they came from. I know for a fact a couple of them that are actually in some of our churches in our denomination. I haven't had the guts to call them out yet. (laughs) I will soon. I've been challenged this last week. Then you better start calling them out. See, they, they believe that the obvious path to you know, being a better person is to be more like Jesus. And Jesus was perfect. Jesus, Jesus loved everybody, right? Yeah, he did. He did love everybody. But he didn't accept everything that everybody did. He told the woman, you know, go and sin no more. She was caught in adultery. She was guilty. He says, but don't do it anymore. And I'm not going to condemn you, but don't do it anymore. They also teach that we each have a bit of divinity in us. And if, if, we, just, if we just meditate more, if we just do some inner searching, we will find and we'll be able to tap into that divinity. These churches are teaching that good works are enough to get you to God. And that completely nullifies everything that happened on the cross. See, because if we say if only good people get into heaven by being good, then the gospel becomes exclusive to them. Not inclusive, which is what they want it to be. It's the exact opposite of what they want. But the gospel says that we are all, everyone is welcome to come if they are just as they are, and God will change their lives. It doesn't say you have to clean yourself up first. The person with leprosy who came, all the people with leprosy who came to Jesus did not have to get themselves all cleaned up and get rid of leprosy before they came to him. The demoniacs did not have to eliminate the demons in their lives before they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus just as they were, and he changed their lives. That's what he does. That's what he's here for. That's what grace is about. It changes our lives. Matthew 22.10 says, And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus was telling a story about the the the, the 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 rich man who was throwing a, a, a huge wedding feast and all the people who were invited didn't come. So what did they do? They went out and got all the people who were on the road, all the people, the common people. 
Not just the good people. Not just the high echelon people. This idea of being a good person encourages people to look at themselves as tolerant and open-minded, and they think that this pleases God, when in reality, they're intolerant. The gospel tells us to see our radical sin and to be transformed. We have to see that we are sinners, and we must be changed. And how do we change that? I can't do enough good things to make that sin go away. I need a Savior. I need redemption. I need grace. And the only person who can give me grace is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who has the ability to do it. We are to be transformed. We have to see and accept that none of us are good, no matter how many good deeds we do, and that salvation is a free gift of God provided through grace. And it is that grace that will transform us. See, because Paul says what the true gospel is in Acts 20, 24. He says the gospel of the grace of God. It's not a mixture of our character and our work in God's grace. I'll be honest with you, that's what I was saved under. You know, well, if you, if you accept God and then you just work hard, you'll be a Christian. No, I won't. I accept God. I'm a believer. I have grace. Now I've got to keep surrendering things to him daily that he has to work on in me. I'm sure glad he has to do it because, man, I've struggled with trying to figure this stuff out and make things better in my life and to fix the things in my life. I can't do it. But he can he can. Now, granted, he doesn't just change everything either. He makes it hard for me because I need to learn in the process. So he does it with me. I'm doing it with him. But he leads me. He guides me. The gospel teaches me. See, for Paul, anyone who teaches Jesus plus anything else, anything at all, is to be eternally condemned. That's what a curse means. That means you are eternally condemned. It's not just that you're going to have a bad day. It's that you are going to spend eternity in hell. You shall be, if you do this, if you preach this gospel, you are going to be condemned. This other gospel. I mean, to play with altering the gospel is to risk eternal life and death. It also means that fear, anxiety, and guilt will always be attached to your life. It's always going to be there. You're never going to be, if you believe this gospel, if you teach this gospel, you're never going to be good enough. You cannot be good enough. You're right. You can't. Don't have to be. God accepts us as we are by grace and sees us as redeemed. As believers, when we have this, we have this sense of condemnation. It's usually because we're beginning to trust in the gospel. When we live in our lives and we're seeing the change in our lives, and then we something happens and we just feel, oh my gosh, I, I'm so, I feel so, you know. There's one thing about feeling guilty and being feeling sorry for what we've done. We've done. It's another thing to tear ourselves apart because of it. That's condemnation. Well, now I'm done. I made a mistake. I'm going to hell. You might be, because you've got to go back and look at your original salvation. Was it true? And I don't know that. 
That's why we have to search for it ourselves. But when we, when we start believing another gospel that's salvation by works, it's no gospel at all. And what happens is, we get influenced by this current evil age that Paul talks about in the book of Galatians. See, the gospel is so crucial and so easily reversed in this evil age that we need to always be diligent. We always have to be watching. When I, when I, when I listen to a pastor speak, when I listen to preaching, I'm very diligent. I, I want to go and I want to look and see what they're preaching from. Is it valid? Is it in context? Or are they projecting themselves into the scriptures? And I'll be honest with you, a lot of the popular, and I'm ta- when I talk about popular, I don't mean people like, Charles Stanley, I don't, I mean, people, you know, the old standbys. I'm talking about some of these new up-and-coming megachurches. They, they project themselves or they project the people into the Scripture. We talked about that last week. That's eisegesis, not exogesis. Exogesis is looking at what the Scripture says, looking at it in context, what did it mean to the original writers, and what is it telling us? That's what we're doing here. This is what Paul says. This is what he's doing. This is what was going on. Eisegesis would be saying, well, you know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm a Galatian. That's me in there. It sounds good, but it's, it's, it's garbage. It's not preaching. It's not preaching the Word. It's preaching another gospel. See, but how do we know that we're not just feelings? These aren't just feelings about the gospel being true or what we're told is true or we think is true or what sounds true is true. It's uh, The standard of the plumb line that Paul gives us is that we must examine the gospel that we think is true against the gospel that we received from Jesus Christ himself. Go back and look at the gospels. What did Jesus say? What did we receive from him? It's just found, this is all found in the Bible. The Bible judges the church. We do not judge the Bible. The Bible is the foundation for and the creator of the church. The Bible being God's word. That's what formed it, what started the church. The church is not the foundation or the creator of the Bible. The biblical gospel must be the plumb line for every time evaluating the church and its leadership. All truth claims must be compared to the truth of the Bible. We do not judge according to our personal experiences, our feelings, our convictions, whatever. That's not how we judge. We judge according to Scripture. Each of these must be judged by the Bible. Paul goes on to say, who am I serving? When I say this, you know, I've told you guys that, you know, who I am, I'm an apostle. Am I serving man or am I serving God? I, I remember growing up and, and, and there was this, you know, I remember breakfast cereals that used to have prizes, not in them, but you had to collect the box tops, right? And, and you would collect the box tops if you, if, you, if you get 10 box tops and send them in Ah, you get this amazing prize. And the prize was on the back of the box. It was this big. And there's a say, collect box tops. But, you know, as kids, we never read the real tiny writing at the bottom that says, send $5 along with those box tops for shipping and handling. Right? Did you ever read those? Read the fine print? 
Nah. The thing is, our parents always did. And they knew that something that says it's free is not free. So what the Judaizers were doing in Galatia, they were looking at the fine print and they said, oh, no, no, no. Salvation's not free. I mean, we've got, we've got Jewish tradition in our history to prove it. We're God's chosen people. You know, forget all the times they've screwed up and God had to send them into exile. <laughs> I was thinking we do that today. We look at things and we forget the history. We forget the truth of history. Even, even a week ago, we forget the truth of history. So, Judaizers are looking at the fine print and they're troubling the Galatians, saying that they need to be, yeah, you need Jesus, no doubt. Because these were men from the church, from Jerusalem. But what you really do is you need to keep all these, do this hard work of keeping all these laws and doing all these things. I mean, that'll truly prove how righteous you are, Right? If you if people can see you, oh, if people can see you praying, calling out to God, if they can see you putting money into the box, oh, what an inspiration that'll be to everybody. God says, no, do your praying in private. Do your giving. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. See, they're trying to clean up Paul's mess, but the problem is that when you do that, you have to continually be pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right? You have to continually be doing better and better and better and better and better. And then we really don't know when those bootstraps are going to break because they do ultimately. Live by the law and you will know insecurity, not security, panic, but no peace. Even repentance is not good enough because it's tainted with our motive to recommend ourselves to God. We do repent, but that repentance is not what saves us. Because what the problem is, is that when I repent, I'm saying, God, this is what I've done wrong. Now look what I'm going to do right. We're, 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 we're recommending ourselves to God. We need to repent. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what saves us. It's part of the, it's part of the result of God's grace. Live by grace. Live by faith. So how do we know that our repentance is sincere and complete? Well, founder of Protestantism, Protestantism Martin Luther, he, he discovered that it's neither. Our repentance isn't sincere or complete. And this is why the grace of God is our only hope. And why Paul says in Galatians 1.5, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are daily Fighting this battle of the flesh. Our flesh is constantly wanting to smuggle character into the mix. So that's why we, we go someplace and we make it look, look make ourselves look better than we really are. Well, what did you do today? Oh, well, I, you know, I helped a couple people. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. When in reality, inside, we're like torn apart. Our hearts are at war and, and with us yelling, that is mine, I did that, it's me, it's all about me. We constantly want something that we can point to in order to gauge our salvation. 
we only have one thing to point to to gauge our salvation. That's the cross. So we recommend ourselves to God and we compare ourselves to others, which leads to defeat. We become full of self-pity because of our imperfection and we beat ourselves up to atone for our failures or we might work harder to justify ourselves in our own eyes and the eyes of others. But either way, we've taken our eyes off the cross. It's all about Jesus. We must make much of him. Paul says, the only thing I preach is Christ and Christ crucified. We've begun to listen to that other voice and the spiritual depression that begins to enter our lives. And we need to defend the gospel in our own hearts, even more so in the hearts of others. So we need to put on the full armor of God. That's why Galatians and Ephesians go so well together. We need to put on the full armor of God. We need to hear the gospel from our lips and from the lips of those around us. Romans, Paul told the Romans in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But see, not just when we first believe, but continually throughout our lives. Do you know that when we preach the gospel to ourselves and to each other, we're serving Christ? When we share the gospel with each other, even with those who are believers, even more so when it's non-believers. But if we are talking to someone and we, and we just talk to them about the gospel, of the spiritual conversations, we are doing the work of Jesus Christ. We're encouraging them. They are encouraging us. We're not, we're not intolerant when we hold fast to the gospel of the Bible. It's a service to Christ. The world will say we're intolerant. Why do you hold to that old book? No, I hold fast to Christ and the cross. We don't push the law on each other by defending it, but we lead each other into the presence of Christ. We must fight the tendency of confusing law and grace by defending the gospel. So what is your emotional state tied to? It's, it's tied to what you did. It's not tied. If your emotional state is tied to what you did and didn't do yesterday, man, what's it going to be tomorrow? Our emotional state cannot be tied to what we did or didn't do or what someone did to us or someone didn't do to us or someone said to us or didn't say to us. Are we finding joy in the gospel, or is it stale? Are we, are we satisfied with the gospel? Are we starving for a different meal? I mean, can you, can you taste the sweetness of the gospel? Can you taste the sweetness of grace? You don't have to work hard to be saved. You are saved by God's grace. All we have to do is accept it. And we can accept it by going down to the altar, but that's not what saves us. We can accept it by sitting in a pew and saying a prayer and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, help me. I, I want you to work in my life. Or, Lord, I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that yesterday. I'm sorry. I know your, sin, your, your, your sacrifice on the cross covers this. I, 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 I'm so appreciative of that. Help me. Surrender to him. Help me to do better. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1. You then, my child, 
be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that you be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your grace. We don't deserve it. You give it to us freely. It's not about working our way to it. It's not about saying a prayer. It's about believing. When we believe in our hearts and we declare with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved. That's it. But we have to believe it. And at that point, we will be transformed. The old is gone. The new has come. I am a new creation. But that doesn't just happen overnight. It happens through sanctification by you in my life more and more every day. I don't have to work harder to have you in my life. I just have to surrender it and allow you to work in, through, and with me in my life. Lord, help us to be find our strength in your grace and your grace alone as we move forward in these wicked, wicked days. We're going to need it more than we ever thought. We praise you, Father. We thank you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. May God's grace strengthen you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.